1: You're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ community radio station, Joy 94.9.
0: Welcome to the Rainbow Report. News, opinion, current
1: affairs
2: for the Rainbow community from Joy 94.9, Australia's only full-time gay and lesbian radio station. Gay and lesbian radio station. And now, your host, Doug Pollard. News and
1: interviews, Joy 94.9.
3: Well, thanks, Chris and Cam, for The Drive Factory. Good evening. Welcome to the Rainbow Report, post-election and in new directions. It's a new world. We now have a new Prime Minister, a new party in government. Kevin Rudd's being consigned to history, unless he's going to sit on the backbenches, muttering three times is the charm, in which case we're still screwed. And Tony Abbott is moving into Kirribilli. The world has changed, and we're going to have to change with it. The most obvious casualty, probably getting pushed back for a period of time, is marriage equality. Or to put it bluntly, fat chance that for at least three and probably six years now, unless we strike really lucky. Australian marriage equality is regrouping and refocusing. They've appointed a new Director of Strategic Engagement. He's the former chair of Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras, Peter Urmson. Change is also happening in the Defence Forces, with the prestigious Army Journal carrying an article by gay service member Peter Dominic about the experiences of out- and closeted personnel. It's a little bit surprising in some respects. Vince Chong of the Defence Force Gay and Lesbian Information Service will be joining us. Now, Tony Abbott won a commanding majority in the lower house. Not so great for him in the Senate, though. But with many young voters disengaged from the election process, over a quarter didn't even bother to enrol, how will his government travel with them? In a disquieting incident, provocative queer students from Macquarie Uni were shut down by campus security when they tried to sell and here comes a bad word, so plug your ears if you don't like them, fuck Tony Abbott t-shirts. Why? Why? We talked to the woman who made the shirts, N. U. S. Queer Officer Cat Rose. Other LGBTI advocates are worried that gains made under Labour might be rolled back or that progress might stall. Morgan Carpenter, the new president of organisation International Intersex Australia, worries their needs could fall off the agenda once again. Australian marriage equality has been putting a very positive spin on the election results, pointing out that the new parliament has more pro-gay marriage MPs than ever before. However, even they have to admit that circumstances are likely to be very different under an Abbott administration. And they've appointed former Mardi Gras Chair Peter Ermson to help them deal with this new world. He joins us on the line now. Good evening, Peter.
4: Hi, Doug. How are you?
3: I'm really well, and thanks for joining us tonight. So you are the Director of Strategic Engagement. What does that actually mean?
4: Um, I'm really um, going to be obviously working in with Australian marriage equality um, and looking to work closer with um, new federal MPs uh, with a particular focus on the coalition. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be trying to move forward, obviously, in a bipartisan approach. And I think it's, kind of, it's more around working through what, what does the strategy look like um, as we move forward, you know, where we have a very different landscape now.
3: So you're going to be investigating how the land lies for a start, I assume, and then you're going to be trying to build some bridges?
4: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair to say. That, that, that That's a key part. Um, you know, um, m- my particular role is specifically going to be um, working behind the scenes, doing some lobbying, um, positioning, fact-finding, um, and, and obviously working close with uh, with Rodney Croom and Alex Greenwich, um, you know, where, where where best possible.
3: So you're not going to be a public face. You're going to be the backroom boy. You're going to be you're going, you're going to be an Australian Marriage is Equality equivalent to Bill Short. No, you're the faceless man. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I don't know about that because <laughs> you're quite. You're, you're, you're,
3: you're quite used to being um, up front and centre, aren't you? Because you used to uh, head up Mardi Gras.
4: That's right. Yeah, I'm used to being at the front of it, um, and having things and, thrown at you, and getting things thrown at me, um, physically and verbally. <laughs> uh, um, um, but the whole experience, the whole Mardi Gras experience. Um, you know, I mean, I was a chair there for three years. And um, it was really good in terms of um, what I learned with dealing with um, more around local and state governments. And, um, you know, I just seemed to be able to communicate with, um, you know, those type of people, you know, at a a very executive level um, and all the way down. Um, and, and, And I think if I can sort of help in that regard, and, and garnish some of the relationships that I were able, was able to make um, over the course of those three years, you know, um, federally, um, then that's a good thing.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, you're used to dealing with people at a pretty senior level in your in your day-to-day work. I mean, you are a CEO anyway, so, um, you know, you, you know how to talk to business people, you know how to talk to politicians, as you said, thanks to your time in Mardi Gras. Um, one thing I noticed with AME is that they forged a nice relationship with Ben and Jerry's just before the election. Are you going to be looking for more corporate tie-ups like that?
4: Uh, that that's not in my scope of work. Um, you know, my, my, my scope of work pre- is absolutely very focused on federal...
3: On the political side.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, there there are, are other people within the organisation who are very talented that um, can bring pressure to bear on those elements. And um, my role is is absolutely just focused on, not just, but you know, cause it's an important piece, yeah. is focused on what, what we can do to pave a path forward. Um, how, opt- know, how, federally.
3: how optimistic are you? I mean, um, on the one hand, you've got Tony Abbott, who is pretty firmly set against the idea of equal marriage, but he has a sister who's gay, and she's obviously leaning on him from that side of things. Um, and we're being told by all sorts of people at the moment, I, lo- I love the way the positive spin is coming out here, there and everywhere, that Tony Abbott isn't a culture warrior and he isn't a mad, bad right-wing monk or any of those things. He's actually <coughs> quite a nice bloke and everybody loves him kind of thing. Mm, mm. Um, how do you read that? I mean, do you think that um you 're going to have to wait until he gives some sort of signal that he 's not going to interfere before m p s will come on board
4: mm, look it's um, it's obviously it, 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 it's it 's a few days after the election you know obviously we 've put a lot of thought not a lot of thought, but we have put some thought into, you know, what the strategic approach is going to look like post the election, mm. knowing that this was probably going to be the outcome that we now uh, have. Yeah. Um, but my my, my my thoughts on that are, you know, it, it is absolutely going to be steady as she goes. It's not going to be something that's going to uh, be rushed through. You know, um, knowing the Conservatives, um, as I do, that they will be the first thing that they're going to be looking at is the numbers
5: mm-hmm. and the
4: financials of the country. You know, you've got to let them settle in, understand that, find their feet, you know, be, have behind-the-scenes conversations with them, um, build build the trust and the relationships. And that, 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 quite frankly, is going to take about a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we've taken a very pragmatic approach and what we think is a sensible approach. The last thing that we want to do is force an issue where we don't have the numbers.
3: Yeah, because, I mean, that's what happened last time, wasn't it? Mm. It, it, The the whole thing got... uh, Mm. I think the Labour Party kind of jumped the gun quite deliberately to try and get it off the agenda Mm. um, and pushed a bill forward before anyone was really ready for it and therefore Mm. it failed. And the argument then was, well, you'd had your chance, now you can go away. And we, Mm. we really don't want that to happen under this government.
4: No. No, I mean it, 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 we, we, we we want we want it to happen, and we obviously want it to we want to go forward, and we want to win a vote. And I think that the the model that's been used in New South Wales, where we've had a bipartisan approach at a state level, um, where we've got um, a number of local state MPs from each polit- political persuasion, um, have formed an alliance. Um, to, to develop a path forward for New South Wales um, seems a sensible approach, and I'd be quite keen to be actively supporting to drive that type of approach, also federally. Mm,
5: mm. Um,
4: and, and I think it's important to note that the change is going to need to come from within the coalition party itself. Yeah, um, It's not something that we can you know force upon them. It's about having conversations to get them, you know, across the line in their thinking and understanding. And I, I actually think that there's some positive signs there already.
3: Well, as I've said many, many times before on this programme, um, we've we've learned from experience that the one thing that actually gets people on our side is when they they meet us, you mm-hmm. know, when they meet gay families, when they meet gay couples, when they realise, you know, that we don't all have two horns and a tail yeah, uh, and that we're sort of just normal people just like them. <laughs> You know, efforts to get people to go and meet with their members of parliament and so on have always worked really well, both at state and at federal level. I mean, that that's the kind of thing I think you could facilitate really well.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, well, hopefully I can add some value there.
3: Well, I would hope so. Um, Obviously, obviously, um, Rodney and the rest of the crew there think you can, or they wouldn't have asked you to do the job. Um,
4: Yeah, and, and 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 with that as well, you know, I mean, there's a trust. You know, the, 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 uh, Rodney and Alex, and, you know, we, 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 we communicate fairly regularly, and Rodney and I have a history. Um, there's a trust there. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I'm not here to be at front whilst I'm on this show today. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm not the spokesperson for the organisation. No, 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 no. But I thought know. it was
3: well worth introducing you to the listenership and yeah. letting people know that, that this work was going on because it is going to be very important. And uh, the best of luck with it, Peter, and uh, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Thanks, Doug. That was uh, Peter Earmson there, former chair of Mardi Gras and now director of strategic engagement at Australian Marriage Equality. Now, the uh, prestigious professional soldiering magazine, the Army Journal, published a piece by out-gay serviceman Captain Dominic Lopez in which he quotes a fellow gay soldier as saying... We're not here because they wanted us, but because they were told they had to have us. I think this is still resented and is why there are still negative attitudes towards gays in the Defence Force. You have your prove, you have to prove yourself to be accepted, and even then it's done reluctantly, which explains why some people choose not to come out. Joining me on the line now is Vince Chong from the Defence Force Gay and Lesbian Information Service. Good evening, Vince. Hello, Doug. Uh, welcome back to the show. It's been a while.
0: It has been a while.
3: Thank you. Okay, let's get back to this, uh, no. this uh, article that appeared in the Army Journal. First off, um, it's quite something for an article like that to appear in that journal, isn't it? I mean, it is like um, the professional Army Man's magazine.
0: Certainly, Doug. I think, you know, what we're seeing is um, a a willingness to talk about um, issues a lot more intelligently and also greater opportunities for people to just be able to, you know, open up and and be honest about their experience. Um, And I think Dominic's article certainly provided the space for that.
3: Yeah, I I was interested to see that not everybody takes the opportunity to actually be out. A lot of people still prefer to remain closeted.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think that's, uh, you know... I'd. I don't think that's necessarily, um, you know, a unique element of the uh, the Australian Defence Force or the Australian Army. Um, certainly the, the hyper-masculinised culture um, provides the impetus to, um, to stay in as simple means of... Deal with um, you know potential issues that might come out in the workplace. You know, I'm not saying that uh, that's how things uh, should be, but you know, clearly there, you know, the article points to the fact that there are a number of negative cues that are um, happening in the workplace, which um, can make it difficult for people to be out. Um, and I think that's you know, that's why The ADF does need its cultural change program. It does need to try and um, tackle the issues that are um, creating these difficulties um, to to get the inclusive culture that it wants for the future.
3: Yeah, I mean, Dominic was saying it's all right if you buy into that. hyper-masculine culture thing and you compete on the same level as it were you know uh, as, as he said as i think he said if i'm quoting from memory here but it's something along the lines of um you know how can they put me down when i can run faster than them and i can shoot better than them
0: yes, certainly and um you know Dominic's experience you know he, he indicated that he hasn't been um harassed uh and he's had a great great experience um i actually you don't know him personally, but I imagine that he can absolutely compete at that level. Certainly, the the unit that he's working for, infantry, is uh, is very hyper nationalized Probably mm. the most, um, you know, I guess, uh, masculine uh, cause in in the Australian Army, um, in my opinion. Uh-huh. Um,
3: he he also brought but, up the issue of the divide yeah. <clears throat> uh, of the divide between what he called the warriors, and I think the phrase he used was loggers. Um, I, I, I presume by that he means the fighting force and the people who do all the backup stuff. And he was yes, saying there was yes, probably a bigger yes. divide there than there was between gay and straight service people.
0: Look, that, that's part of that's part of any culture, really. I think you know when you've got people that are out there, you know, on the front lines versus support roles. I think there's, you know, um, I think there's potentially a, a right or a um, you know that's reasonable to uh, to feel very. And competitive,
3: yeah, and you know, there there, there um, is a kind of camaraderie. Dangerous
0: uh, roles and position.
3: Yeah, well, there is a kind of camaraderie yeah, that, that you get that in comes, a,
0: that comes from just being in that.
3: Yeah, from being in any kind of team, and but particularly one where you're relying on your mates to save your life, basically.
0: Exactly, and and that's you know, and that that element, you know, I'm glad he he mentioned it in his article. I mean, that element is you know most certainly part of ADF culture, and. Um, you know, all all of the uh, all of the work that we're trying to do in the inclusion space is not isn't really to detract from that, but to work out um, how we can recognise the strength of each you know each person mm-hmm. and um, and get the same results, um, but making sure that no one feels like they have to hide their sexual you know their sexual orientation, which um, you know most people in the Australian Defence Force, myself included, you know we we try and focus on the task at hand and our competence at the job. Um, first and foremost, mm. uh, you know, there's, there's, you know, everything else is a is an added bonus if we can get a more inclusive culture. Well, that's great because that produces um, better outcomes for defence. It produces better.
3: Yeah, there's 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 also the um, there's also the whole thing that um, you, you you have to be there is a sense in which you have to be better than the average if you're out and gay, or if you're a woman as well um, in the defence force um, in in order to be treated as an equal.
0: I think for any stigmatised group, you know, they they're. they're there absolutely comes that hypersensitivity um you know associated about being you know being that group you know not that it's anything you can do about you know if you are gay or if you're a woman you know these are aspects of the of self that aren't choice there's nothing you can do about them then and, and I think you know that does um uh that does create the desire to um to to work harder you know in order mm. to make sure that uh um, you know you integrate um you know should people have to do that no um but i think that you know for 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 many of the um you know proud proud men and women of the australian defense force that is that is exactly what they do and and that kind of shows the dedication that they have um to the service you know yep. that they're, they are willing to put up with the low levels of discrimination, you know, the gay jokes. I think there are a number of examples in his piece yes. where he said, you know, look, I, I, can't, I can't cry wolf every time someone makes a gay joke, mm. um, you know, because we, it, it would just um, impact on my performance and, and that detriments the team. So, yeah. you know, yeah. that, that person is taking a personal hit. Um, uh, in order to... In take take one for I'm the now. team.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: take, take one for the team, so to speak. Well, and himself. But, you know, I think, that said, I think, you know, the the the, um, the dialogue is changing. You know, we're seeing that from Chief of Army, who's, who's come, out, come out to say the standard mm. of behaviour that you walk past is the standard of behaviour that you set. And, and I think that we will see um, culture shift across in the ADF as, you know... Uh, article journals like uh, Army Journal are published, Chief of Army and and Senior Defence Leadership are are talking about these issues, Mm. which creates... a sense of easiness um, or makes it a little bit more easy to, to stick up for your mates. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and to, of course, you've got a
3: generational up. change going on here as well. Uh, the other thing that um, he pointed to was that the younger generation don't have half the problems with it, the old dinosaurs do. Thank you very much for joining us this evening and um, best of luck in your endeavours with Death Glitz. Thanks very much, Doug. See you later. Now, before we get to the next item, a warning. Uh, the next item concerns a, f- a fuss over some T-shirts with the F word on them, so we're likely to be saying it a fair bit as we speak to Cat Rose, the woman who made them.
1: This Joycast is a free service brought to you by Joy 94.9. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au.
3: And this is your host, Doug Pollard. Now, a row has blown up after campus security at Macquarie University were called to remove a bunch of socialist alternative campaigners selling. And here comes the language I warned you about. Fuck Tony Abbott T-shirts. The woman who made them joins us now. Good evening, Kat Rose. Hi, Kat. Hi, Doug. So you had a bit of a bit of excitement down there. Um, Why do you think that uh, security got involved?
1: Good question. Uh, Well, one of them said that he was personally offended uh, by the t-shirts and wouldn't explain exactly what that meant. Of course, people wondered (laughs) if maybe he voted for Tony Abbott. Um, (laughs) But most of the response we've had has been that people have really liked them. So yeah, it's a bit of a mystery.
3: well, there were, there were some comments on the website. Um, Star Observer put up a story about it, and some of the comments on the website were saying that um, the uh, the salespeople who were there were pretty aggressive and that this was what was upsetting people.
1: Oh, I find that pretty hard to believe. Um, like, I've been selling the T-shirts at my university um, we don't really have to be aggressive with people because people are just buying them hand over fist. It's pretty clear that a whole lot of people are really pissed off that uh, we have such a homophobe elected for PM, especially young people and students, as you can imagine. So. Um, Yeah, I haven't heard that at all. And that definitely wasn't the complaint. The complaint was the swear word uh, and that it was disrespectful to the Prime Minister.
3: Well, you said that uh, over 1,500 people have already liked the Facebook page of the same name. So um, that's uh, obviously an indication that things are are, are, um, striking a chord with your target market, I think is probably the best way to put it. Um, What made you decide to do it? I mean, it's a pretty aggressive thing, you know, just to come straight boldly out and say, ''Fuck Tony Abbott,'' just like that. Um, Why did you decide to be so confronting?''
1: Well, it was my feeling that, um, yeah, this guy got elected, but he's got a pretty solid um, core of people that really hate him. Uh, and we definitely just wanted to push that and try and tell people, don't be demoralised. We're going to be fighting this person. Let's make the next few years hell for him. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
3: so you're not, you're, not, you're not inclined to take the view that, you know, he's, uh, whether we like it or not, he's been elected. He's got a something majority in the lower house. Um, we ought to try and work with him.
1: Well, on the first question, um, I don't think that people really felt they had much of an inspiring choice this election. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's that. But... On working with him in the lower house, well, I, I'm not going to work um, nicely or politely with somebody who's spent their entire political career since university promoting homophobia and arguing around the point. Uh, I'm going to tell him to get f um, <laughs> <laughs> and organise a solid campaign to get rid of the guy.
3: Well, that's one. it's one way of doing it. It certainly is. Uh, certainly a lot of young people, um, I think the... Um, Electoral Commission said about a quarter of people um, up to the age of 25 uh, didn't bother to enrol to vote this time round. So, you know, they were so uninspired by the choice on offer. And there were a record number of either spoiled ballots or, or people who were enrolled who failed to vote, a lot of whom they suspect, though they don't know at this stage, were also young people. So your generation is was pretty disengaged from the whole process.
1: Yeah, it's... Extremely um, concerning, really. Uh, although, on one level, I don't really blame people um, for not being inspired by the political choices on offer. People, You're right that people have totally tuned out, but people haven't tuned out of everything. So they might not be concerned about the election, but people are concerned about homophobia, people are concerned about equal marriage rights, people are concerned about um, Abbott being a misogynist. Like, people will care about certain things, so that's what we want, um, you know, uh, to do something with, um, to get people engaged in politics and say it's not all about these idiots who sit in parliament, but we want uh, to organise uh, grassroots campaigns that challenge uh, their whole way of thinking.
3: Well, there's certainly been quite a few of those in during the Rudd years, and there is a um um. um that was not quite mythical, but there is, a, there is a feeling among old activists like myself who've seen all this come round more than once before that actually activist movements do better under um, particularly right-wing governments because they've got something solid they, they, they to fight against, whereas um, it's all a bit low-key underneath left-wing governments um, because they're sort of on your side, if not as far on your side as you might like. Do you think that this is going to ramp up the level of protest?
1: possible uh look I mean I definitely hope that happens but it's not a good situation that we're in um, I can't say exactly that I'm happy that you know he's in government just so that we can protest like actually <laughs> in the last few days no,
3: like, I'm just saying it might padding. make it easier to recruit you know
1: <laughs> yeah well I I don't I think that like we've had we had to fight under labor like you said and we'll have to fight under the Liberals uh, it, it's possible that people will fight, but it's also possible that people can get demoralised and think, how did this guy even get elected? So I don't want people to be demoralised. I want to tell people that, um, you know, we need to push back, not just um, his homophobic attitude, but his attacks on social welfare, public services. Um, yeah, I want to be... Such as, as, such as we've
3: had like in the that. UK, in fact, under David Cameron. Yes. <laughs> uh, which has not been uh, not been very good for uh, working people, students, or a lot of other people at the bottom of the heap. Um, relatively speaking, we're still quite affluent here. Of course, it remains to be seen what Tony Abbott does on the economic front um, and what happens to the economy, because if we start getting unemployment levels rising, that is going to make things worse for all of us. That's definitely
1: true. Look, when we talk about queer rights... Um, It's something that always affects um, working-class people, people who are unemployed, students, young people, the worst. Uh, These are the ones that Tony Abbott's going to be stomping on. So, yeah, we need to be looking at the whole thing, not just what he says about equal marriage rights, although that's obviously something we want to win in the meantime.
3: Yes, yes, it's just one of the many issues. Well, Kat, thank you for joining us tonight. And, uh, obviously, keep in touch with the station uh, with all your various campaigns. All right, that was Cat Rose there, NUS Queer Officer up in New South Wales. Now, uh, there's been a few messages come in since the last piece. Just let me get the screen up and working here. Now, uh, those of you who follow me on Facebook and elsewhere... Uh, will have noticed that I made an announcement today that this current series of The Rainbow Report will be the last. There are only going to be three more shows after this one, and that will be the end of The Rainbow Report. I had originally intended just to take a three-month break, but having tossed the whole thing up in my mind and and having a lot of other things on my plate at the moment, I decided it was time to retire the programme. Uh, now, I've got a few messages about that. Uh, Doug, can you explain why we will miss the lament of the Rainbow Report on Joy? as the election result helped you decide to leave and you'll be missed a, a loss to uh, gay media in this town? Uh, will there be a replacement program for the show? Um, well, those two questions, um, I don't know about replacement. Uh, I like to think I'm not replaceable. <laughs> but obviously there are lots of other um, gay and lesbian Shows dealing with news and current affairs here on the station, Dean Beck as a couple, Um, and that will continue, and I'm sure more people will come along to, to to sort of pick up the baton. Uh, hi Doug, your decision to end is a great loss to the Game media in Melbourne and beyond. Please keep those rainbow colours alive in a different format. Um, as anyone who was listening last week will know, I have taken up a new role um, as a director of the Kaleidoscope Trust Australia, which is a charity which helps activists in countries where it's illegal to be gay that is obviously going to take up a chunk of my time Uh, I'm a member of the Victorian Gay and Lesbian Ministerial Advisory Committee on uh, Health and Wellbeing which is going to run for another 12 months Um, and uh, there are other things I'm working on as well so I'm not going to disappear altogether I'm going to keep my blog site going and who knows three months or six months down the track I might be back on joy with a different program but it won't be the Rainbow Report uh, it'll be something else different. Uh, here's another message just coming. Apathy is a win for the political class. It's dangerous to allow the parties to pass policies that will change the future. The younger generation are interested but engage outside the party system and in a different way. So, Doug, all is not lost. Well, I kind of hope so. Now, one of the big gains made during the term of the previous government was the inclusion of intersex people in anti-discrimination laws. I believe that was a world first. But, of course, that's only the beginning of dealing with the needs of the intersex community. Joining me now on the line is Morgan Carpenter, who's the new head of the Organisation of Intersex International Australia. Good evening, Morgan.
2: Good evening, Doug. How
3: are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Now, um, as I just said, you know, you got recognition, finally, in law, but there's a lot more still to do. Um I noticed today that the, you put us another submission online, for example, into a Senate inquiry. Can you explain to us what that's about?
2: Um, yes, yeah, sure. Um, I, I think maybe the best place to start, though, is to say that the, the outgoing government yeah. um, has done an extraordinary amount of work, um, that has been intersex inclusive and, and you pointed to anti-discrimination legislation that's, that's a key item mm-hmm. in that and um, they also uh, established um you know with bipartisan support um a inquiry into the involuntary or coerced sterilization of people with disabilities um, and that that inquiry um also uh, separately includes intersex people Right, because intersex people are subject to involuntary or coerced sterilisation in Australia uh, in 2013.
3: Right now, this is what is this is what the medical profession calls corrective surgery, isn't it? It's 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 chiefly, as I understand it, and do correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm a bit of a novice in these areas. Um, the when a uh, when a child is born who whose sex is ambiguous or whose geni- or particularly whose genitalia are amb- ambiguous somebody somewhere makes a decision and says oh the well, best thing to do is to do a bit of corrective surgery down there and and, and bring this child up as a girl or as a boy
2: um, not only that but that's a key element i mean intersex people are i mean the, the historical term would have been hermaphrodite yeah. which is sometimes regarded as being pejorative these days because of its medicalization um, but um Intersex people are, you know, are born with atypical sex characteristics, whether those are uh, genitals or chromosomes, uh, or other kind of hormonal uh, characteristics. Oh, you know, oh. Intersex is testable. Right. Right? It's testable via amniocentesis testing, you know, prenatally. Yeah. It's testable visually at birth. It's testable by examinations and blood tests uh, in childhood and adolescence.
3: Yeah, and sometimes it's sometimes um, it's a genetic condition, isn't it? That's a... it,
2: it's typically a genetic condition. Yes, it's more typically than it is it's a genetic condition or it's. Um, Caused by endocrine disruptors in the environment, or, or a couple of other things. Right. It's totally
3: genetic. Now, as I said, the, the 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 situation at the moment is that doctors tend to go, oh, it would be better off if we do, if we decide with the parents that you know what sex this child is going to be brought up as, uh, and then dive in. I and mean, of course, uh, the child is simply not capable of consenting to that.
2: That's correct. Um, it, it, it's. These surgeries are typically done, actually, there are different types of surgery. One of the key types of surgery is um, genital reconstructive surgery uh, during infancy. Um, and that is typically done for what are called psychosocial reasons, which include, in Victoria, for example, in the Victorian Health Department frameworks, guidelines, they include things like marriageability. Yeah, um, and they include other things to do with cultural issues about acceptance in the family and, and possible risk of of poorer um, employment
3: potential.
5: Yeah.
3: Right. Now, um, can, can I just stop you at that point? Um, some people might say it would be better for th- those reasons that have been described for someone to be assigned uh, a sex agenda but that 's where we get into trouble isn't it? because sex and gender aren 't the same thing, and that 's when mistakes can be made because you don 't know what gender that child will feel themselves to be or actually be
2: well yeah that, that, that's true, and that certainly is is an important factor in in considering whether this is you know a useful practice or not, but um, it, it goes deeper than that really um, any the, the um Okay. There is, in the second inquiry, there, there are submissions by clinicians, and those submissions have acknowledged that there is no firm evidence of good outcomes from these surgeries. Uh, and they assess those outcomes cosmetically, in terms of sensation and sexual function. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while they acknowledge that there are cosmetic benefits, there are particular concerns, to use that language, about mm-hmm. sexual function and. Um, sensation.
3: I I gather part of the problem is in fact that there isn't really much follow-up to see how this all turns out.
2: Uh, There is no long-term follow-up. So so these surgeries are being done with no...
3: So they've no idea how it works. They've no idea how it turns out and whether they got it right or not. Yeah. Which is why they go on...
2: There isn't much in Australia. I mean there there are um, case studies and and various small-scale studies that have happened, you know, internationally and there is one in Australia as well which found I think it was about seven or eight years ago now mm-hmm. again in Melbourne and it found out that the um, the patients studied were had i think um, I can't recall the language um, off the top of my head but it, but it, it the outcomes for those patients were comparable to the outcomes for patients with diabetes
5: hmm.
2: and diabetes is one of the the, the big Health bugbears in our society these days yeah. uh, it has a enormous impact on people.
3: So um, um, let, 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 let's just sort of move on slightly here. You you've made this submission to the Senate inquiry um, because obviously there are still things that need to be done for your community. Um, the inquiry when is the inquiry supposed to report? I mean, does this carry over into the new Parliament?
2: It does, I believe. Um, we have had some discussions with the, um, the secretary of the Senate committee, um, and the original reporting deadline was in uh, July, and it's now, it's now hopefully going to be uh, a report out of session by the end of September or mm-hmm. early October. Um,
3: and then, and then yeah. you have to persuade the government to do something with the conclusions.
2: Well, having a report that actually identifies what some of the issues are would be a, a massive step forward from where we are. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, the, the inquiry has, in effect, revealed in the public domain data that has been known to the intersex community for, for 20 years, mm-hmm. um, but has not, it's not been more widely known. And, and more scrutiny is a good thing.
5: Yes. Yeah.
2: Know, more knowledge about this is a good thing. Uh, it's also worth me saying, I mean, it's not just, I, I, I didn't want to say this a bit earlier, it's not just genital reconstruction surgery on infants right. uh, for the same reasons that people might use to, to justify female genital mutilation, like marriageability. Mm. It's also sterilization. Um, and sterilizations take place on infants, children, and adolescents, and, and... often to make their bodies conform to their gender assignment. Um, but often justified on the basis of, of, of a reported cancer risk so what are so a huge issue
3: that, that that is an enormous issue um, obviously again because there is there's no consent possible if, if this is done on children um, and babies um, particularly so what do you, what, do you, what do you hope to get out of this well i mean what, what's the outcome that you that you're hoping for you're hoping for some kind of um, an end to the practice of of uh, surgery on people until they're old enough to decide if they want it and what they want?
2: Um, Essentially, yes. I mean when it comes to sterilizations what we want is...
3: uh, And obviously you don't want that happening.
2: (laughs) We want firm evidence of of a need. I mean there are some uh, intersex variations where there actually is a fair, where where there is thought to be a high risk of cancer Mm -hmm. uh, in gonads because they they don't form in in a typical way. Yes. Um, but in many cases, that risk is judged to be 0.8 percent or 2 percent, mm. uh, and still people have been sterilised on the basis of that. Um, and that's that's a very low risk compared to like breast cancer in women, which is
3: like 12 percent. Hmm. Hmm. And, and we ought so, to we ought to add at this point that lots of people get sterilised for reasons that have got. Really, sort of, uh, I'm not quite sure what the real reason is, but um, people with certain mental conditions, for example, children with certain mental conditions, or uh... well, this
2: has been studied by the by the uh, the same inquiry. Yeah, because uh, the first report on disability uh, came out in July, mm-hmm.
5: um,
2: uh, and that, that was very good because that replaced the, that that recommended the replacement of the existing test, which is to uh, enable surgeries that are in the best interest of the child.
5: Uh,
2: to replace that with a new test, which is uh, the best protection of rights, which effectively pays more attention to what happens when the child gets older.
3: Yeah. I mean, in, I mean, in theory, you could have a situation, as, as you have um, with, uh, with trans people now, where a child reaches a certain age and they are... You know, they they want to either change sex or they want to delay puberty or whatever else, and they can do so um, with the consent of a judge, even though they haven't reached an age of maturity. Presumably, best protection of rights would allow something like that to happen.
2: Yes, I believe the same principle probably would apply in that case. Uh, I, I, you know, the, the, the idea here is to go for a test that's universal, that can be applied to different circumstances. But the issue with intersex is a bit more complex because the... It's also about what is defined as therapeutic.
3: (laughs) Yes, and that can be very much in the doctor's eyes, can't it? Okay, Morgan, well, we're going to have to wrap it up at that point as uh, we're running out of time here. Um, Fingers crossed that this all turns out uh, for the good for you and the best of luck in the future.
2: Um, thank you very much.
3: You're welcome. That was Morgan Carpenter, there, the head of the new head of organisation of Intersex International. Gina, the former head, has retired and clambered into her caravan and is setting off around Australia. Uh, how very typically Australian, I have to say.
1: Thank you for listening to a Joycast from Joy ninety four point nine.